Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legvold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Major General Sean Mankey. General Mankey is the 32nd Adjutant General of the State of Minnesota, being appointed by our governor in August of 2020. Before that, he's been an aviator in the Army, both on active duty and as a part of the Guard. He's served in numerous command positions throughout his tenure in the Guard and throughout this has balanced a very active family life, including two grown kids, Kaylee and Lucas, both serving in the military, and a wife, Mary, who's an educator. Not only are you the 32nd Adjutant General of the State of Minnesota, but you're also, and maybe more importantly, the 32nd guest on Beneath the Wind. <laughs> well, well, it's good to be wing. here. Thanks. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. My last episode, uh, we had our Wings Outstanding First Sergeant of the Year on and explored the uniqueness of that position in the military. Companies don't have First Sergeants. Companies don't have Adjutant Generals either although there's some similarities to some corporate positions. So for the people that haven't served in the military or maybe people that currently are in or are unsure, can you tell us what an adjutant general does? So an adjutant general is the appointed head of the Department of Military Affairs for each state. So there's 54 adjutants generals representing the 50 states and the four ter- or three territories in the District of Columbia. So the District of Columbia is a little bit different. You know, the D.C. Guard, they work directly for the Secretary of the Army, but everyone else works for their respective governor. And we're really in charge of the readiness, training, and equipping of both the Air and the Army National Guard, and and maybe someday the Space National Guard, if if a Space National Guard is created. If it comes along. Right. It sounds like a lot of responsibility. That's why you have really good people that you work with, uh, which are, of course, uh, the strength of the Minnesota Air National Guard. It's the airmen and the soldiers that serve in the National Guard. So as the Adjutant General for Minnesota, how many people is that, both soldiers and airmen? It's roughly just under 13,000. That's a little bit. Yeah. it's uh, we, we are considered a medium state. Uh, you know, there's large, medium, and smalls, but we are one of the biggest of the medium states. Okay. You, know, you have a state like Texas, New York, Pennsylvania. They're considered large states. And then we get into the medium states. California is another large state, of course. But, Would yeah. California have a one adjutant general? They have well? one adjutant general, yep. Okay. There's, like I said, there's 54 of them between the states and territories. Right. right. A lot for one person to manage, but you're right. A lot of good people. I met one on the way up. You've got a new uh, new person working out there in Major Wong, and you know it's nice to come down here and get let into the building. It's a good secure spot to work, and haven't met too many people in Minnesota that are tough to work with. Yeah, so, yeah, we are we are fortunate, and the, and the quality of people that want to serve in the state of Minnesota is uh, really second to none, as you know, on the air side and the army side. The reputation of the Minnesota National Guard is uh, is pretty outstanding, and uh, we certainly want to maintain that and keep that. So August of 2020, you took on that role. Outstanding people, a little bit of stress, right? Yeah. In the middle of a pandemic, there was <clears throat> civil unrest, a lot of planning going on. Um, more has been asked of our Guard in just the last couple of years during your tenure than has, I mean, in my short memory of 30 years in the 
over 30 years in the military. What's been your strategy to keep yourself resilient during these times? Who takes care of you? So, you know, I've been, I've been married to my wife, Mary. It'll be coming up on 31 years uh, this, um, this July, and uh, she's my battle buddy. And uh, we spend a lot of time together and just uh, have the conversation and get out and do some things. And you know, I've got a dog at home that I enjoy spending time with. It's always, you know, your dog always reach at the front door with a smile on her face and the wag of the tail and... Uh, you know, and then I've got some close family members that I hang out with. And, of course, Battle Buddies here. i got CSM Sulphur, Chief Erickson, you know, uh, and uh, they give me an asthma check once in a while when I need it. So it, it helps me. And then I've got a great relationship with some of our chaplain corps, both Chaplain Poyu and, and uh, Chaplain Wynn, you know. So I, I have that going for me as well. That's definitely a unique culture and climate to say in the military we have people that are specifically here to take care of one another and compare that to corporate America where people are here to take care of the profits, the stockholders right. and the customers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, when I got out of the army, uh, I never thought I would put the uniform on again. I was in the army a little over eight years. Um, and when I left the army, I never thought I'd put the uniform on. I worked for corporate America, uh, for a number of years and then came in as a traditional soldier. Um, still working uh, for corporate America. And you're absolutely right. You know, the military does things where a lot of times the nexus is the mission, but it's it's focused on the people, you know, the people first. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, cost is not always the biggest driving factor, where if you're corporate America, it's uh, how do I make another nickel? And, and some of the decisions I think that we make in corporate America aren't good for the long-term people equation of that particular company or in the military we really have to keep that in consideration because it takes us so much money and time to train our airmen and our soldiers uh, we certainly want to be able to retain them I was going to ask you the uh, the purpose of having those helping people the battle buddies or the wingman it takes on a completely different role when we do have to rely so heavily on one another at times and practicing that while we're in home station yeah. just taking care of our ourselves, each other on the day-to-day -day makes us a whole lot more effective when we go down range. Yeah, I, I equate it to being on a team. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, I played uh, football and I swam and, uh, <clears throat> you know, the camaraderie of having teammates uh, or being in a club with someone where you're all working for the same goal. The military in a lot of ways, um, you know, is, is another example of the camaraderie you share between your fellow airmen and your fellow soldiers. It's a... Uh, it is definitely unique, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned your time in high school uh, and your earlier earlier life, a little bit of uh, uh, corporate, working in the private sector as a traditional guardsman. So um, I interviewed a, a gentleman from, an enlisted guy from my wing. He's got a degree from Princeton. Okay. And you have a degree, not too many people know this, you have a degree from Cambridge. Cambridge High School. Well, of course. <laughs> it still sounds very impressive, though, doesn't it? Yes. But after graduating from uh, Cambridge, you went to NDSU through the ROTC program. I went to the University of North Dakota Pardon through me. the ROTC program. Very well. Yeah. Uh, different programs, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, why did you choose to go through that ROTC program? Uh, what drew you to the military? So the U University of North Dakota has an aviation program, aerospace program, and... Uh, I wanted to be an airline pilot when I was uh, a younger kid. 
and uh, I went to tour UND to look at their aviation program, and I soon realized the only way I would be able to afford paying for that program was through some other means. And uh, and one of the deans said, hey, you should look at the ROTC program. So I looked at the ROTC program, applied for an ROTC scholarship, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. But, you know, the, the Army really, they paid for all my tuition, all my books. They paid for all my flight lab costs at the time. So, uh, you know, I graduated from the University of North Dakota with <clears throat> just about every rating I could have, and uh, the Army paid for it. Sounds like a pretty darn good deal. It, it was a great deal for And me. they only asked what in return? So they asked, uh, depending on your branch, um, you know, you could branch into the Army Reserves or the National Guard or the Active Army. In the Active Army, for certain branches, the commitment is four years. If you're an aviation branch at the time, it was six years past flight school. So. Uh, I owed them six years, and really by the time I got them on flight school, it would have been about seven years. So. And you were flying a rotary wing uh, airframe, correct? Yeah. When I went through the University of North Dakota, I flew both fixed wing and rotary wing. And then uh, for the Army, I flew the UH-60 Blackhawks. Okay. Active duty first. Active duty first. Where were you stationed? So I was, uh, of course, Fort Rucker, Alabama, which is where the Army does their flight training. And then my first duty assignment was Germany. Uh, I was stationed both in Swabish Hall, which is southern Germany, and then Giebelstadt, which is uh, kind of central Germany, uh, closer to Würzburg area. And then uh, I left Germany and again went back to Fort Rucker for some more training. And then I was at Fort Hood, Texas, where I was for about three years before we transitioned out of the military. And somewhere in there, Mary came along. Yeah, my wife and I uh, dated in college, and like you said, she, she well, as you said, you talked to someone who was a Princeton graduate. My wife is a Princeton graduate, wow, Princeton, right. Minnesota uh, <laughs> high school, but, uh, but we, uh, we started dating in college, and uh, we got married right before uh, I left for flight school. One of the things that is an advantage of the Guard is we don't have to move as much. And I know the Army will move folks around the state, but you're still a Minnesota yes. member of the Minnesota National Guard. How was that moving in active duty with a wife and then a young family? Yeah, so <clears throat> I would tell you that's probably one of the biggest reasons I got out of the military. Um, you know, I moved, uh, I think I was in the Army, like I said, a little over eight years, and I think we moved like six times counting everything. Uh, and, you know, you don't have roots in a house. You don't have your family members close. Uh, I grew up very close to my grandparents. Um, and the only time we really saw my parents or Mary's parents were when we would come home to Minnesota and leave or they would maybe visit us. So uh, was not a part of our kids. And when we left the Army, uh, my daughter was just over two, and my son was uh, not even a year old yet. So... It's tough balancing all that. Yeah. Because you really, really do belong to the Army. You do. And then your family is 
somewhere in there after yeah. that. Yeah, and, and it seemed like every time that we came back to Minnesota on leave, it was, uh, you know, you're, you're traveling and then you're visiting with family and doing everything, trying to see all your old friends, and you never really get that true downtime, mm -hmm. you know, like you do when you do take, uh, if you're fortunate enough to take some vacation. So When you were growing up in Cambridge, did you know about the Minnesota National Guard at that point, or was this still one of the really well-kept secrets in the state? You know, I, I did not know a lot about the Minnesota National Guard, uh, honestly. I, <clears throat> You know, my my grandfather served in the Navy in World War II, but never talked about it, never talked about his military service. Um, and my my father wasn't in the military. Um, I had some distant relatives who had spent some time in World War II, but, you know, no, no cousins or anything like that, so I really didn't know a lot about the Minnesota National Guard fell into it by chance. I did. And here you are, the adjutant general. That's right. What did you learn in active duty that now you, I mean, have you ever gone through a day and gone, you know what, as a young lieutenant, I learned this, and that's kind of shaped yeah. the way I'm leading today? Well, I, I, think, I think the number one thing is um, if soldiers and airmen know that you sincerely care about them, uh, they'll do just about anything for you. Uh, you know, I think I learned that as a lieutenant, taking the time to get to know your soldiers and um, and see what they're doing, uh, and then that allows you to figure out what's the true center of gravity in an organization. Where you know, in the Air Force, much like in Army aviation, it, the center of gravity is is those aircraft, right? Um, I mean, the one thirty third. There's a lot of great things that the one thirty third does, but uh, when people think of the one thirty third, they think of the C one thirty sitting out there on the ramp. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when when people would call an Army Aviation unit, they're thinking about those aircraft, and uh, so I learned. Uh, you know, they call you to employ those aircraft and and use them aircraft for whatever the case may be. Um, and uh, you know, if you can't operate your aircraft, one by either having the people trained to do it, but probably more time consuming is is the maintenance on those things because they're maintenance intensive. So. I learned maintenance is key to success in that aviation unit. So I, I got uh, I got pretty smart at doing maintenance, or, or not necessarily doing it myself, but managing and making sure that uh, you know people had the parts they needed, the time they needed, and stuff like that. It's uh, it, it is a good career field to know, and you know one of the things having been a ground guy my entire career, I learned a lot about maintenance and. How hard those folks work on just keeping those planes flying every day yeah. and the passion yeah. that they bring to the job. And, and you were a ground guy, but the reason, the, the, the bigger reason you were there was so, to support the flight operations of those, because you were a ch fire chief, weren't you? Yes, yeah. I was. So you're supporting the uh, ability for those aircraft to fly through whatever means that is. Now, I know there's <clears throat> other things, uh, but even the civil engineers over there support that. You know, you're, uh, you could argue that you're aeromedical squadron, uh, but they rely on those aircraft to get them where they need to do to do what they're really paid to do. Certainly so, do. It all, yeah. all kind of rotates around that, yeah. the yeah. whole idea of keeping those planes in the air yeah. and getting them where they yeah. need so to So I go. used to say the aircraft were the sun and everything else revolved around them to try to keep them flying. That so, is uh, yeah. it's well stated. Uh, Ask, ask our pilots out there, and they'd probably tell you, hey, it all revolves around us. We fly those things. But uh, a good 
Maintenance group commander once told me it is all about maintenance. It is. And keeping those planes. Because, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, pilots, uh, I mean, <clears throat> they're, they're a great asset, but uh, there's a lot of people who want to be pilots, right? So when, the, when those planes are the sun and everything is rotating around them, uh, sometimes that can be pretty high stress. I think back to uh, just a uh, year and a half ago now when we got all of those planes in the air and shuttled the entire 34th Infantry Division, and, or most of them, and a bunch of the Minnesota Air Guard folks out to D.C. Um, that was high stress. A lot of work went yeah. into getting folks off the ground and, and out there. Um, how do you keep going back to, hey, we're here to care about our soldiers, care about our airmen. How do we show that while doing the mission? Well, I, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's recognition as well. Um, so, you know, leader presence, seeing what they're doing. I mean, uh, I went over a couple times when aircraft were getting ready to shuttle people out to D.C., you know, and, and like you said, we moved uh, almost 800 soldiers and airmen out to D.C. for the presidential inauguration. But, the, you know, a lot of stuff, the palletization of their equipment and the, the load loading operations, the flight planning, all that stuff, the maintenance when, when aircraft are going in between and, and trying to make a presence to see it. And then and then I think it's, it's about talking to your soldiers and airmen. So first-line leaders getting to know their uh, airmen, uh, hey, what's going on with you? Uh, what do you think about this? Um, you know, what's your family doing now that you're leaving for however long? Um, and understanding that, and then then supporting them and their family back here as much as we can do that. It takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of front work on that. It, uh, you can show up to the stressful stuff, yeah. Uh, but if they're used to having those conversations with you, there's a level of comfort in the care. And, and I think it's you know it's 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 trust. You know, trying to be as sincere and transparent uh, with our soldiers and airmen. Um, and and sometimes the truth changes, right? We've all had experiences where today one thing is true, and then a couple of weeks from now something else might be true. Uh, but. Uh, uh, you know, once we violate that trust between uh, of our airmen and our soldiers, it's hard to get it back. So trying to be truthful and, um, and transparent so they understand why certain things are being done. That has been a very true statement over the last two years. <coughs> right. Truth right. has changed and right. being communicative in the approach to leadership is uh, it's a challenge when, when that truth just, what we know as true just is dynamic and fluid. Uh, that's been tough. So you have two kids who are serving today. Yes. You've raised two soldiers. That's got to be a point of pride for you. Yeah. I, you know, my wife and I like to say we've raised two great kids. We've been fortunate. Uh, they're good kids. Uh, I got a 26-year-old daughter who is, uh, she's an engineer lieutenant in the Army. Uh, she spent uh, about two and a half years in Italy. Uh is an airborne uh, qualified soldier, uh, and then now she's up in Germany in Stuttgart supporting uh, the special forces group out there with some engineering project management. She has a civilian uh, engineering degree, a STEM degree, so she's able to do some of that stuff as far as reading prints and project management. So, uh, But she still gets to jump out of airplanes, uh, so she's pretty excited about that. And... Uh, She'll be over there for at least another 18 months or so, and then uh, we have a son. Lucas is in Savannah, Georgia. He's in, assigned to the 3rd Infantry Division. He's a Chinook pilot, 
and uh, he hasn't been there. I think he got there in April, uh, but uh, he'll be there for at least probably three years. But uh, very proud of their decision to enter the military and serve. And, and you know, Chief, 83% um, of our force has some connection to a family member that has served, which is, uh, you know, that while that's great, I would argue that it would be better if the number wasn't as high, if we had more service members who didn't have that connection because it's it's really almost a family business, right? But uh, the encouraging thing is, uh, you know, I think there's value in it, merit in it for doing that, and it's a good career. And like I tell many of our soldiers and airmen, like I tell my kids, I say, hey, you serve, you're, you're the less than 1% that's serving our country. And, and uh, at some point, if you decide that you don't want to serve anymore, that's okay. Obviously, you know, we'd like to maybe get them in the guard at some day, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, while I'd like to keep everyone in the guard, I get it, not everyone stays. And uh, I'm, I'm just thankful for the service that they do give us. Why is military service still a good option for kids that are graduating high school? Well, I, I think there's many reasons, uh, but one, I think it's a sense of purpose. Um, I think it's a sense of being on a team. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the military asks a lot of you, but you're gonna get way more back in return than you're ever gonna put into the military, whether it's in the Air Guard or the Army National Guard. I mean, it's just a, you know, and, and the good thing uh, with me is, you know, my both my kids did ROTC. Uh, the friends that they hung around and around with in college were pretty good kids, mm -hmm. you know, by the nature of what they're doing. And I think it's the same in the military. You know, by and large, the majority of our soldiers and airmen are, are top quality people. I agree. So if, affiliate yourself with something great for the greater good. You know, we are so fortunate to work for those young people that are coming in here and do things like teach people how to care about them, mm -hmm. um, give them a, that sense of purpose. Uh, D-Day's anniversary, I'm interviewing the day after our anniversary of uh, D-Day yesterday. Memorial Day was just a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Fourth of July, all these big patriotic celebrations that we have in the country. Um, has the nature of patriotism changed? With the new generation that's coming in, uh, even the millennials that have been here for a little while now and are starting to become the leaders uh, in our in our ranks, patriotism looked a lot different for the greatest generation than it does for us. How has it changed? Uh, I think I don't know if uh, you know. I, I think one one thing that's changed is. People aren't as aware, probably, as they were. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm a prime example. When I was a kid in high school, I didn't really understand about the Minnesota National Guard. You know, I, I knew my grandfather served in World War II, but I really didn't understand the full impact of it until I really started getting interested in the military. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the, pop, the generation now is more of a... You know, kids these days, and we have the junior officer enlisted tag advisory council, you know, and, and kids don't sit down and watch a hour and a half to our movie now. They, they get their stuff in snippets and burts and stuff. So, um, you know, and we jokingly talked about the Top Gun movie. I shouldn't say jokingly, but we talked about the Top Gun movie that just came out, right? And uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, when the Top Gun movie came out, 
uh, I walked outside a the theater and there was naval recruiters there sitting there trying to sign people up to join the Navy. And, and uh, you know, I haven't seen the new movie, but I think, you know, in my era growing up and in your era growing up, there was probably more um, kids would watch movies because that was the entertainment. You didn't have a phone. You know, you'd go to the movie theater. Um, so that's part of it. But I, I just think uh, kids get their news in 20-second bursts now, and they don't maybe have as much understanding of the, of the whole picture as, as our generation did. Mm-hmm. It's different for them, yeah. and they influence themselves a whole lot more than when you and I were growing up um, and you were going to Cambridge. Uh, we got a lot of our influence from those outside sources. Mm-hmm. Um, Top Gun didn't necessarily motivate me to join the military, <laughs> um, but uh, still, that was that was inspirational. Yeah. Um, so much is said about leaders need to be inspirational to the people that they're responsible for. What do you think is the best way that we inspire these um, young soldiers and airmen coming in when they are so used to getting their their information in the in the snippets? You know, I, I think it's um, it, it's it's you know talking to them. So. First line leaders talking to their soldiers and airmen. Uh, you know, the first line leader, the first line leader talking to them. Hey, these are opportunities for you that the uh, Minnesota Air National Guard has, uh, whether it be professional military education or other career fields, whatever the case may be, getting to know them. And then, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing and saying, um, you know, not just speaking, but walking the walking the walk and talking the talk, right? So um, being able to um, just highlight the good things. And, you know, there's a lot of cool things that we get to do in the military. I mean, uh, how many soldiers and airmen get to deploy overseas? How many soldiers and airmen get to ride in a UH-60 Blackhawk or a C-130 aircraft? You know, how many soldiers and airmen get to jump out of those aircraft? I mean, there's some stuff that we get to do that's pretty cool that uh, nobody else doesn't get to do. It is pretty, pretty uh, darn it, cool. And even when we're serving in the state, you know, we have 129 soldiers up filling sandbags up in International Falls where it doesn't sound like the most glamorous job, but uh, the people, the community sincerely appreciate it up there. And, and uh, you know, much like... Uh, you know, when we're doing when we're doing the COVID work, whether it was testing, vaccination, or working in the long-term care facilities, the people in Minnesota truly, truly cared. Uh, so it's it's trying to inspire them to do that and and uh, give something back um, because I think you know they're going to get more in return from the guard that they're putting into the guard. You, you mentioned the mission that we have up in northern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were. Were you just recently up there? Yeah, Chief Erickson and I were just up there on Saturday. Yeah. You travel a lot with this job. And um, while you're out representing the Minnesota Guard and advocating on our behalf and educating people that need to learn a little bit more, it's tough to, tough to stay connected mm-hmm. with, with home, with family. And you mentioned, hey, family was a reason that you got out of active duty and moved back home. What are some of the tactics that you employ to stay connected with your family that um, that you've learned over time? Well, I mean, it's a lot easier now than it was then, right? Uh, I mean, now with uh, 
different apps on your cell phone and social media, it's it's a lot easier to stay in touch. But uh, you know, you know, my wife and I try to eat dinner together every night that I'm home. So it's the little things like that, you know. And sometimes you're busy, but we still make time to do that. Um, you know, I try to send a text message to my kids every day, at least touch base with them once, right? Um, and uh, when I was overseas, uh, you know, I, my last deployment was 2007, 2008. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had access to email. I'd send an email just about every day to my wife, just checking in, saying how I'm doing, staying in touch. And, and, um, because uh, I had the opportunity to do that. And I realize not everybody has the opportunity to do that. But uh, I think today it's easier with uh, modern Wi Fi and the WhatsApp app, right? And uh, different things. But, I think it's important to do that, and I also think when when our airmen and soldiers are deployed, if they're working for a conventional employer, so if they're a traditional guardsman, you need to, you need to make an effort to stay in touch with your employer, because uh, that makes your employer maybe feel part of the fight or part of what you're doing in your mission, and uh, it'll make it that much easier for you when you come back to try to get to work in your in the job that you've left. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we certainly couldn't do what we're doing without our family's support and without our employer's support. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the people in the Minnesota Guard that we do. And, you know, when we want people in the Guard that have good civilian jobs because uh, they're good people um, and it's a balance. So, uh, you know, we need to certainly th say thank you to those employers, but also when we're deployed or mobilized for a mission, try to stay in touch with them. Definitely a good... Good message to uh, close this section out. I've been talking with Major General Sean Mankey, our 32nd Adjutant General of the State of Minnesota. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our safety department with some good advice on how to stay safe this summer. Hi, everybody. It's Lieutenant Colonel Stacy Miser, the Chief of Safety for the 133rd. Uh, the summer health and safety period runs from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And as the weather warms, uh, take some time and enjoy the summer with your family and friends, but keep safety in mind as well. Last year, the Department of the Air Force lost 18 service members to preventable mishaps during this period. Water-related activities and motor vehicle operations, especially motorcycle operations, remain the leading cause of off-duty fatalities. Wear proper protective equipment, have a well-established plan, and put away your cell phone while you're driving. All these things can help make your summer safe and enjoyable. I hope you have a wonderful and safe summer. Thanks. Thank you, 133rd Airlift Wing Safety. I'm joined again by Major General Sean Mankey, our 32nd Adjutant General, and again, more importantly, the 32nd guest on Beneath the Wing. So thanks for sticking around with me, General. Of course. Good to be here today. Hey, you uh, just Taking over as the adjutant general, I know you were a flyer, and everybody kind of does um, when you did. What have you learned f about Air National Guard uh, that's a little different than the Army National Guard? What are some of the lessons that you learned right away as the adjutant general? I would think, uh, you know, one of the things I learned is just the precision, right, the timing of everything. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to go down... Um, and visit the 133rd a year ago when they were in Yuma. And, uh, you know, the, the, the focus and the professionalism to get 
uh, you know, get the mission done on time, everything from the time, you know, the takeoff on time, which is very critical to aviation. You know, from an Army aviator, that's one of the things that we focus on. Uh, so I think <clears throat> a lot of similarities. Um, I think, uh, you know, the Air Guard does things just a little bit different. I'm not saying it's bad, it's just different. Uh, where it's, um, you have more specialized skills. So you have AFCs uh, that are more specialized and stuff, which is probably a good thing. You know, if the Army was that way in some things, it'd be a lot better. Um, and I think that's that's a compliment to the way that the Air Force and the Air Guard run. Uh, um, and, you know, and I think that shows because the retention in the Air National Guard is well over the 90% mark, where on the Army side, it's not. Uh, it's not anywhere near 90%. Um, so, you know, the professionalism and, and just, you know, and maybe part of it is because you're a smaller organization, uh, you know, but uh, um, again, just impressed with the quality of the people and uh, the professionalism of, uh, of the airmen that I've had the opportunity to interact with, which isn't necessarily different, but, uh, um, you know, certainly uh, reassuring and complimentary and enjoyable. Of the, the great things about, you mentioned this, the small, you know, shops, organizations, uh, Air Force specialties that we have compared to that really big group of uh, soldiers that get sent out the door altogether, is we're, we're able to take that lesson that a young Lieutenant Mankey learned early, and that is take care of your people, care about your people, and, and be on purpose about it. It kind of melds itself into that family feel. And that's been tough. Um, it's been tough this past year where we've been separate from one another and, and the past two years. Um, but we've also been going through some other struggles that, as the adjutant general, you jumped right in with both feet. Uh, you've influenced the longevity of our flying mission, which, uh, as a new adjutant general, you learned a lot about the Air Guard and how specialized some of our skills are, but you also learned about the importance of the flying mission. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about that journey um, with some of our elected officials educating uh, them on the importance of our aircraft at the 133rd and yeah. how U.S. TAG did that. Sure. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, I got a call on a Friday afternoon. I was actually on my drive home, and uh, it was from the uh, uh, chief of the National Guard Bureau's executive assistant asking me if I could take a call with the chief of the National Guard Bureau, and I said, uh, I can. Uh, when is that going to be? He said, right now. I said, okay. So I pulled over and had the conversation with, at the time, uh, you know, General Hulkinson and General Lowe, and I said, hey, congratulations, Minnesota has been selected as a candidate for, an, at the time, an information warfare wing. And I said, okay, well, that's good. I said, is this existing drill force structure? Because I had heard some rumors that, uh, you know, the 133rd flying mission was going to potentially be swapped for an information warfare wing. And they said, no, it's, it's uh, you know, it'd be a swap out for the 133rd air, airlift mission. I said, well, Minnesota's really not interested in that, respectfully. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, <clears throat> that probably wasn't, uh, and we just had the discussion right there and then, and I asked, you know, a bunch of what I thought were intelligent questions, but, uh, you know, it was, the reality was I was getting cruddy news on a Friday after, late Friday afternoon, probably Friday evening, and, uh so then we kind of immediately went into um, 
hey, how do we slow roll this type thing? Uh, you know, and, and I worked with uh, the wing leadership and I worked with uh, General Best, General Gabrielli. Um, uh, and uh, we worked talking with our Code L team and uh, saying, hey, we do not think this is good for Minnesota. Uh, and I will tell you that, you know, our engagements with just about every, well, all of our Codel members, they were very supportive of keeping the 133rd of flying mission. And then I had, uh, we had, a, of course, a conversation with Governor Walls, uh, very supportive of keeping the 133rd as a flying mission. Not to say that an information warfare wing, which has changed to a cyber warfare wing, isn't a good mission, but uh, not at the expense expense of the flying mission of the 133rd. I mean, the 133rd recently celebrated last year 100 years of flying, right? Um, and uh, it's it's an asset that we used, as, you sa as we said earlier, to get our nearly 800 soldiers and airmen out to Washington, D.C. Uh, plus, we've used it multiple other things for domestic missions as well as a federal mission. And, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I know right now we've got a couple aircraft in PACOM, and uh, later this summer we're sending an aircraft over to Europe uh, to support our federal mission. So, you know, the good thing about the Air Guard is they do both the domestic, the state, but then, they, of course, they do the federal mission, which is uh, what, we're, what we really train to do. It's a... Uh, I cannot imagine what it's like to sit on the side of the road... Uh, and talk and say, hey, no thanks, yeah. <laughs> respectfully, yeah. uh, to folks up there <clears throat> and know that, you know, you're advocating for the 1,200 airmen that work out there at the wing and, and I'm not and doing that yeah. on behalf of the state. Right. Um, garnering the support of our congressional delegation is something that you spoke of. Uh, what's that tap dance been like? Because it's the, the adjutant general, you sit on the governor's staff. Is that correct? I'm uh, I'm the, the you know I I sit on the governor's staff as the uh, commissioner of the Department of Military Affairs. Right, right. So yeah. that's, that's an interesting balancing act that you're you're filling there. Uh, what have you learned about the political process and how that all works together? So first and foremost, I think you know I'm fortunate where you know the governor and the governor's staff. Um, really have tried to keep the guard out of politics, um, you know, and I think there's some things that we have done in, uh, you know, surrounding the murder of George Floyd and the Chauvin trial where, um, you know, we have put the guard on the streets and <clears throat> um, it hasn't, it, it, I don't think it's been politically popular, um, you know, from, you know, with, with parties, but, you know, it's kind of you're danged if you get, Get out there too soon, and you're danged if you don't, right? So, uh, but I think the governor and his staff have done a pretty good job of keeping the guard apolitical. Um, and I think there's evidence in, in, at least in Minnesota, where you know, look at what was just passed the veterans omnibus bill, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to get soldiers and airmen who have deployed are going to get a bonus, and and soldiers and airmen who haven't deployed but have served since 9/11 are going to get a bonus, and then. Um, you know, there is funding and a change to the law where we'll be able to give bonuses, reenlistment bonuses uh, to to service members with more than 12 years of service. So it's, it's um, you know, and that's bipartisan, passed by the House, passed by the Senate, signed into law by the governor. Um, you know, and on the federal side, I think for the Guard and the military, um, bipartisan support, at least from our Codel delegation here in Minnesota, um, 
they've all been very supportive of what we shared with them. And, and um, you know, we probably try to leverage our senators a little bit more because there's, you know, two from every state. They're, they're uh, a little bit more powerful than most of our representatives, but we, we certainly share everything with our representatives too. And, and what I found is it's, uh, it's a constant communication pressure rather than just a shot here. Okay, I think we're good for a while in a shot there. We've been continually communicating the same message over and over, and I think it's been, you know, we're in a better spot now than we were two years ago. Did you ever think as a young lieutenant on active duty that you would be this engaged at this level at the end of your career? When, when I was a young lieutenant on active duty, I never thought I'd be in the military this long. Right. So absolutely, I never thought I would be this engaged. But I will tell you that, uh, you know, people ask me that all the time. Uh, man, you took over at a tough time. I would tell you that I, I enjoy what I'm doing. Um, I enjoy working with airmen and soldiers. Uh, I I don't get out of the office as much as I would like to. I mean, that's why, you know, Saturday when Chief Erickson and I went up to see the soldiers in International Falls, it was a good day. And, you know, when I went down to visit the Airmen and Yuma, it was a great day. And I've been up to see the 148th uh, a few times, and I get out to see soldiers as much as I can. But, you know, it's it's not, uh, obviously I have a, another job that I have to do that's probably, um, you know, which hopefully makes it better for all of our soldiers and airmen, my focus on this. But uh, it, it's always good and refreshing to go out and see soldiers in there. Yeah. It's, kind of get the, where the rubber meets the road, right? Absolutely. Look into the eyes of the people that you lead. Right. So let's get to know you a little bit more. Here's the okay. rules of this game. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question or give you a list, and you got to give the answer the first thing that comes to your head. Okay. So don't overanalyze it or overthink. Uh, all you got to do is say what, what comes into your mind first. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather fly in? F-18, F-35, or a Blackhawk? F-35. C-130 or F-16? C-130. Are you more like Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell in Top Gun or Lieutenant Colonel William Bill Kilgore from Apocalypse Now? Uh, Pete Mitchell. Good for you. <laughs> Movie that made you cry? Um, Forrest Gump. Me too. Uh, best hair band from the 80s? Um, Loverboy. Favorite food to grill? Steak. One thing you never deploy or leave home without? My pillow. Favorite yoga pose? The barking dog. I don't know if that is one. Hey, it sounds like a good <laughs> one to me. <laughs> so, um, Forrest Gump. What gets to you? I, I think at the end, you know, when uh, when um, he sees his boy, yeah. right? And yeah. then uh, um, I can't even remember, Miss, his wife passes away. Or Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. yeah, Jenny passed away, you know, so. You're sad that goes through that whole yeah. story. Yeah. I'll cry at least four times <laughs> during the movie. That's impressive. That's good. All right. What are you? Why Maverick? How do you identify with? Well, him? I'm not a killer, right? Okay. I'm more of a lover than a killer. All right. Uh, so when you said kill, I couldn't even think of who that was in Apocalypse. Now it's been so long since R I've seen Robert that. Duvall's character, <laughs> right of the Valkyries, flying in on the helicopter. Yeah. I'm a little bit. Uh, that's a little bit over the top. Oh, <laughs> good for you. 
Um, so I mentioned this earlier, you're the 32nd adjutant general of our state. The first one, you know the first one? James McClellan Bowl. He was appointed in 1849 to 1853, and before becoming our adjutant general, he served at Fort Snelling as a drummer. And during his tenure as adjutant general, another important piece of Minnesota history took place, and John Orth opened the first brewery on the Mississippi River in Minneapolis, which later became the Grain Belt Brewery after a few consider, uh, consolidations. Didn't know you'd learn this much in one no, interview, right? No, no. So you and General that was, Bull. That was before my time. It, it definitely <laughs> was. <laughs> Me too. So I just kind of pictured this. You and General Bull are sitting there, and you're swapping adjutant general stories, right? Like you would. Um, enjoying a nice cold grain belt. And, you know, the question is, what do you suppose are two things you'd be able to say are the same now in the National Guard as were with soldiers in the National Guard then? I think the people of Minnesota are tremendous people. And I think uh, there's a Midwest work ethic that is more than just urban legend. I think there's actual truth to it. Okay. I'll go with that one. We work with these folks. So it's all good. What's one other thing you would say is similar? Uh, I, I would just say there's, um, the you know, the can-do attitude of our people is, is really second to nothing, and the desire to succeed. You know, again, they're both realm people. Uh, but uh, I, I, I sincerely think, uh, you know, from being in the active army for eight years, uh, there is something more than just something to the Midwest work ethic. Uh, and uh, I think the caliber of soldiers and airmen we have in our formation is, is really second to none. Definitely so. true. Um, so General Bull, before he became adjutant general, was a drummer. Drums were used to communicate on the battlefield, which wasn't an easy task. It kept people in step. Mm -hmm. It focused them around one common task. They changed the cadence, and people would know how to line up. He was basically a communicator. What's been the biggest challenge as the adjutant general to communicate your message to the ranks? I think it's such a large organization, it's hard to get your message down to all levels. And I've often said, uh, you know, we can put as many resources towards it at my level and senior leaders level but we really need to get we need to get it communicated down but we need to get it up driven as well the same message so mm. how do we how do we make that happen but i think that's uh you know it, it's it's age old that problem um uh you know and i am i'm getting more comfortable with social media, I don't really post a lot, but I, I'm out there looking at stuff, you know, and trying to in tune, and I, I know that's probably the way that it's going, you know, the, a more effective way to communicate with the younger people of today, but, uh, you know, and I'm lucky that I can send uh, this thing called the IG out there and look and see if, if the message is getting around, um, so I, I do that in some instances, uh, you know, as uh, just, to, just to assess the situation, but... Um, it, it's still hard getting, and, and the other thing that I found is, um, you know, sometimes when a senior leader shows up, you know, things, you're more of a hindrance than a help. You know, people kind of stop and do different things, and uh, so I'm, I'm conscientious about uh, making sure that 
you know, you're not negatively affecting what, what the organization is trying to get done by showing up, if that makes any sense at all. Everybody stands up when yeah. you walk in the yeah. room, which means they stop yeah. what they were doing, right? I, I, even like when we were up and visiting the soldiers up in International Falls, you know, it's, um, hey, we don't have to stop what we're doing. We can just visit as we're, as we're working here and yeah. whatnot, so. Did you, did you want to get down there and start filling sandbags? Uh, well, no, not really, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Uh, I mean, it was, there was a lot, it was, uh, it was like a ant mound, right? There was ants running everywhere and, uh, yeah. soldiers knew what they were doing and they were getting a lot of stuff done. And, uh, uh, I, I, I was more focused on trying to keep everybody else out of the way of the soldiers and fill in the sandbags myself. Right. Sure. So For not sure. that I wouldn't be afraid to do it. I think that there's a lot of merit in, uh, you know, doing a good hard day's work. I mean, I know I can say this to you, just getting your planting done, but, uh, you know, sometimes you you go out in the morning and, you you know, you're working at home doing whatever, and uh, when you're done, you've either done some landscaping or maybe mowed the lawn or, you know, cut down a tree or whatever. There's uh, a lot of satisfaction with uh, doing a good day's hard work sometimes. Yeah, yeah. so many of our guardsmen are... Doing a good hard day's work on a Friday and then coming in all weekend right. long and doing another good hard right. day's work, um, balancing all that. Hey, last question, General, and thanks again for uh, for hanging out with me here for a little while. So you've kind of been focusing your message around three key things, people, modernization, and partnerships. Hey, when your time as Adjutant General is done, what are you going to look back on and be most proud of in regard to those three things? Well, I, I would hope that uh, the organization is as well-trained and professional as it is today. And, uh, you know, we are, um, we have been known for being able to keep our soldiers and airmen in uniform and keep our ranks full. And that's a little bit challenging right now uh, with all the other things, and there's lots of reasons for that. But uh, I hope when I'm done uh, that uh, the, the Minnesota National Guard is, is the uh, premier organization that it is today uh, when I'm done as the Adjutant General and, and really leaving it uh, in a better place than it was when I took over. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but uh, I don't want to be the guy that uh, screws it up. <laughs> it's a, a good guiding way of uh, going through life. But uh, right. hey, I tell you what, General, so far so good. And uh, it's been a lot of work, especially the last two years. And um, Having known you back when you were, shoot, I think a major up in St. Cloud, and we got together on a couple of domestic ops things, and uh, people asked me, hey, what do you know about the guy two years ago? And I said, I know he cares about people. And um, hey, that's a great legacy to have. You're not going to screw things up because you got a great cast of characters following you around and believe in what you're doing. So thanks for the guiding documents on that. Uh, General Mankey, thank you so much for joining me on Beneath the Wing. Uh, really appreciate the extra time that you spent uh, visiting with me today. Um, as always, I'd like to thank Amy Lovegren for her production efforts and Master Sergeant David Gindorf, Tech Sergeant Jared Smith for their research and content contributions. I'll be on location with my next guest, who will be Katie Lunning, Major Katie Lunning of our medical group. She'll be talking about her experiences providing emergency medical care during the evacuation of Afghanistan. So I hope you join me then. General Mankey, thank you again. All right, thanks, Chief.